1: Get informed. individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now.
2: Hello, thanks for joining us on another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm with the National Cannabis Industry Association, and I'm the Communications and Projects Manager. Today, my guest is Director of Grow Operations at The Clinic, based here in Colorado. Uh, Please welcome Josh Melman to the show. Welcome, Josh.
0: Great. Thanks. Hi, Bethany.
2: Hello. Uh, So, let's introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, Tell me a little more about yourself, your background, and what it is you did before you got into the cannabis industry.
0: Great. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I was born and raised here in Denver, which is where the clinic is located now. Um, I got my Bachelor of Science in Horticulture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. While I was there, I did a study abroad project um, at the Ben Gurion University in Israel, where I was helping to conduct uh, various experiments on drip irrigation and drip irrigation methods. Wow! Um, After school, I moved out to California in 2002 to pretty much seek any employment in the greenhouse industry. I didn't have any sort of field experience, and I realized um, probably the best place to go get that would be California, seeing as how large the industry is there. Uh-huh. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, strike a deal with uh, Nursery Man's Exchange, uh, which is now um, part of the Rocket Farms group, and they are uh, a family-based operation out of uh, Half Moon Bay, California, and we were growing primarily potted flowering plants for a uh, box store and, and grocery markets.
2: Okay, got it. Well, that sounds like really nice work, actually. Uh, Fun in the sun, as it were. Um, So moving into cannabis and and growing cannabis, do you have a personal relationship to the plant? Or, I mean, what was it that made you move into the still federally illegal, but nevertheless fast-growing cannabis industry?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my, uh, you know, my personal relationship, too, is just a longtime user um, of <laughs> cannabis. And again, you know, um, recreationally, but probably as well medicinally at that point, just didn't really know what I was necessarily using it for. Uh-huh. Um, and always an, an advocate for medical cannabis. I remember uh, writing my first paper for like ag journalism in college about um about the cannabis industry out in California that was just getting started in 1996 or so. And so um, it was, you know, interesting to kind of follow that market as I was learning more and more about horticulture and deciding, you know, what avenue I wanted to get into. Um, I actually went to high school with the owners of the clinic here in Denver. um, And when I found out that they were doing this, uh, it just sort of happened to be a time in my life where I was uh, ready to move back to Colorado anyways and was looking for opportunities here. And so really it, it... it was timing, and it just really sort of fell into my lap. Um, you know, that along with sort of having a little bit of foresight of seeing what the, what the potential of this industry could be as it uh, spread not only in Colorado, but, but nationwide.
2: Yeah, definitely. Wow, that sounds like great timing. So you're like, I'm in, I'm in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I heard it through the grapevine and contacted uh, Max Cohen here, the owner, and, you know, kind of let him in on what I've been doing the past few years. And um, it just so happened they were in, Santa Cruz that following week uh, basically making their first equipment purchase for their first facility out here in Colorado and they were able Mm -hmm. to swing up the coast and and kind of see my facility that I was working at in Happen Bay and and yeah, really the timing was, was perfect, so
2: Oh wow, that's a pretty cool story! Um, wow, Santa Cruz, can't wait to visit Santa Cruz. Um, so, so here we are in Colorado, and you're working for the clinic, which is just right down Colfax, the the one that I stop at. Um, so, for those that aren't familiar with the clinic, uh, can you tell us about the clinic, what the company does as a whole, how long it's been around, et cetera, little history.
0: Yeah, great. Um, the clinic started uh, late 2009. Um, basically, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Obama administration and the Cole memo were kind of uh, giving a little bit of uh, room to operate out here. And, and Colorado had been a, a medical cannabis state uh, prior to 2009, just didn't really have sort of the retail outlets. And so, uh, the clinic opened their first store late in 2009. Um, I arrived on the scene uh, February of 2010, uh, and then was involved in the first uh, harvest uh, for the clinic. Um, so we have been committed to providing quality medical cannabis products, and now obviously recreational products. Um, we have four medical and three recreational dispensaries here um, in Colorado, and you know I would say out of the gate, our, our primary focus was always you know high quality flower, um, hand trimmed, you know the best stuff you could find on the market. Um, you know, And as times have changed, obviously, the, the market has changed and the product line has changed. But um, mm-hmm. the clinic uh, does a lot of charitable work. We actually started working with the MS Society in early 2010. Um, we've got several employees here that are uh, directly affected uh, by the de- disease, either themselves or family members. Uh-huh. Um, and over the years, we've uh, raised over $500,000 for the Colorado and Wyoming chapter of the MS Society, um, which includes uh, two top um, top raise top raising companies in the uh in the segment um or in the okay. uh, region here for the last two years so that's uh, that's a really big cause of ours and we do that uh, primarily through an ms walk team and an annual charity golf tournament that we hold
2: yes the golf tournament um i i, I definitely know about that and I've, I've attended as well that's awesome what a great way for the cannabis industry to facilitate raising money to give back to uh to the causes that that probably benefit the most from cannabis as well. Um, so more specifically, your role there, uh, we mentioned earlier you're the director of grow operations. And so the clinic has a grow as well as a storefront. I believe we used to call that vertically integrated. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, yeah, it's hard to keep up with all these terms. Um, so, So you're on the grow side, which provides a good percentage or portion of the flower cannabis that the clinic sells to their customers in the stores.
0: Yeah, correct. So Colorado, when the laws were uh, being created um, early on in the in the, industry, the start of the industry, it was actually a mandated vertical integration that the state put on uh, right. the medical. And so you had to have your own stores um, and you could wholesale purchase up to 30% of what you sold out of your store. And the other 70% had to come from your sort of in-house connected uh uh, Grow facility, and so yeah. yeah. So we have we started with one facility in town. and We've actually are running uh, three in town right now to um, not only satisfy the needs of our um, own stores, but at this point also um, participate in the the wholesale recreational market that's um, pretty much burgeoning in the state right now. And uh, I I just missed on the last segment, but I'd remiss to say uh, we're also an operating partner of the Clinic G T I in Illinois as well as having partners in New York and Nevada and so I'm um helping those out of state operations as well as running um, all the cultivation activities here in the state.
2: Oh wow. Yeah you're a busy guy. So so day to day you're walking through the grow and you're you're singing songs to all the plants. Is that is that right? That's that's what I'm picturing and I'm just kidding. Yeah,
0: yeah pretty much. I mean <laughs> the plants love plants love to hear music so it's either us singing or you know some sort of music being piped through the, the buildings yeah you know my job is um you know management of the plan uh as a whole so you know taking it from Um, sort of what our our retail needs and desires would be for sales and then working backwards to uh, create, you know, propagation schedules and production schedules to sort of meet that demand of the stores, which is always a moving target. And so that's been Mm -hmm. a big challenge. But yeah, I have um, anywhere from seven to nine employees that staff the buildings across town, across Denver. And so I spend a lot of my time visiting all three facilities and making sure that Ah, uh, the growers and operators there, you know, have everything they need to uh, to be successful in their job. And then, like I said, uh, sort of helping on some of these out-of-state operations as well. The um, the operation in Illinois uh, is actually headed up by a grower of mine that started here in Colorado, and then took the opportunity to uh, to move out there and open up their facility for them. So we're we're really close, and we work um, you know side by side, doing experiments and really trying to share the knowledge that we're both gaining in our separate separate industries here.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of uh, information to be exchanged as you just learn learn trial and error and, and as regulations change as well. Um, so we have just a minute here before we need to take a commercial break. Um, but I appreciate hearing more about what it's like to live day-to-day in a role like yours as, as we're going to continue to see more and more states pass laws uh, to, to allow people to consume cannabis. So that means more cannabis is going to be grown. And, and when we've figured out how to do it right in one place uh if we can replicate that over and over again uh, in other environments that's ideal uh, instead of having to reinvent the wheel Um, so let's take a quick break and listen to some commercials and we'll be right back so stay tuned to ncia's cannabis industry voice
1: ncia's cannabis industry voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Okay, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and we're speaking with Josh, who's the Director of Grow Operations at The Clinic based here in Colorado. Um, So, Josh, when we think about growing cannabis. I'm sure a lot of people probably still think about like a basement or a closet deep in your house, but obviously things have become so much more sophisticated and high tech. Could you talk for a couple minutes about the advancements and how cultivation has become an entirely different animal over the years since legalization?
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, you know, my prior job was a very large greenhouse operation. I think I was... um managing 250,000 square feet of greenhouses and 15 acres of field grown and I did several trips to Denmark and Holland to visit Ugh. breeders out there and saw these you know three acre greenhouses that were being operated by one person in the computer and and really really high-tech sort of growing facilities and then I moved to Colorado and uh, took over a 24 lamp warehouse you know very much was uh, a basement grown just sort of stepped up a little bit with maybe a teeny bit more equipment but even at that time time, you know, the majority of our equipment was still coming um, directly through sort of your typical grow store, you know, consisted of, you know, what we kind of consider legacy equipment, these four by eight trays and stands and uh, vented hoods and natural gas CO2 burners and, and all the things that, you know, a lot of the growers were using um, in their basements and homes prior to the industry really beginning out here. And, you know, I think what's really changed is over the last few years, we've really been able to um, have direct contact and working relationships with Uh, more traditional horticultural suppliers, so greenhouse suppliers, and um, have been able to start uh, getting our hands on a lot better and more efficient equipment um, through those vendors. Um, So, you know, for instance, automated control climate, uh, fertigation and irrigation um, equipment, CO2 dosing equipment, you know, greenhouse rolling benches, all these things that, um, you know, early on when you were talking to, uh, you know, the guy down the street at the grocery store, they had no idea about, didn't even know that some of the stuff was available. Um, and now, you know, with my greenhouse background, being able to bring some of that same equipment that we used on a larger scale um, sort of into our facilities now, which again, at the end of the line is really just to save on cost. You know, uh, the Colorado seen a pretty uh, drastic price depression, especially on the flower products. And so everything that we can do to um, not only do our job as well, but do it better and do it more efficient is really going to help us stay in the game for longer. So,
2: hmm. Yeah. All right. So what else is going on at the clinic with, breeding new strains and main, maintaining the integrity of the strains that you carry in the long term?
0: Yeah, breeding is um, is a small portion of our, our business right now, but I think it's a very important portion and something that we've been trying to work on uh, for several years. Uh, we have a, a company that's associated with a clinic called The Bank, um, and we've been doing um, primarily feminized genetics for the past four years. Um, and so, that means just basically using a reversed female to create pollen, and then all the offspring are are feminized. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different discussion points around feminized or regular seeds. And, you know, what we were doing is we were trying to produce seeds primarily for, at the time, you know, the home grower and someone that didn't really necessarily have the plant count or space to deal with males and really wanted them to give them high quality genetics, but in a way that, um, you know, everything that they bought from us would be useful. And so that's primarily what we've been doing over the last four years. Um, We have begun to do a little bit of breeding on the regular side and actually have seen some quite uh, a lot of interest from the industry right now uh, here in Denver around the regular seed. So we're going to continue to do some of that. Um, In terms of, you know, maintaining the integrity of the strains obviously that's always a challenge and um... you know over the years we've grown somewhere over 100 different varieties, and, and I can't say that we've kept them all. You know, some mm-hmm. have been uh, trash, and we've just decided to get rid of them, and some of have them been, have been great, and we just haven't had the space or facility to uh, maintain those, and we've lost those as well. And so there's a lot of different ways to maintain those and uh, try to maintain that library. Um, we have been looking at um, tissue culture, which is not something that we're doing um, currently, but really, you know, using the breeding area to help maintain some of these strains that aren't in our uh, production area has been to help, and then we can also go ahead and create um, S1 seeds of those varieties, so that we can kind of just tuck those away. And you mm. know, if we lose the plant, um, we can always bring it back via seed. So those are the few few of the things that we're doing out there at the bank.
2: Wow, mad science! That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure some strains were like really popular a couple of years ago, and then no one cares about them anymore, and we've moved on. Uh, so yeah, I can see how that would happen. Um, Along those lines, what have you noticed regarding demand for products as the market changes? I think most cannabis users like you and I are used to the traditional consumption of flour in a glass bowl or or a bong or some other device or a joint, but how are consumers changing with the times now that more products are available like shatter and rosin and other kinds of concentrates that I hardly even know the difference between? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. It really feels like the demand changes almost daily. And as soon as one uh, producer or one person can create a new form of concentrate, that's what's in demand. And so absolutely, like I mentioned earlier, um, there's been... Uh, a decrease in price as well as a decrease in demand on the flower side um, mm, and, you know, and and a company like ours who has always prided ourselves on high quality, you know, hand trimmed flour, that was sort of a, a drastic change and a slap in the face a little bit. And it took us a second to sort of uh, reorganize our our thoughts and our production methods. And and honestly, now we're growing uh, a majority of our product directly for concentrates. And so mm. two things: one, you know, we don't really want to overproduce on the flour because the wholesale market and the wholesale prices um, are generally. Pretty low, and um, you know. And the other part is that there's just such a high demand for every single type of concentrate available, including you know the edibles and and food grade oil that we provide to edible companies here in Colorado. But um, sort of our our bread and butter is uh, butane extraction. We do. We also have um, another company associated with the clinic called the Lab, um, mm-hmm. and they are butane extraction uh, facility here in Colorado. And um, yeah, we're using. You know, we're making butters and live resins and shatters. Um, we just started moving into, um, HTE, which is, you know, high terpene extractions and, um,
2: uh-huh. <laughs> uh, nectars and
0: all, I mean, like you said, the next person online or YouTuber that puts out a new looking product, uh, there's immediate demand for that. And we have to scramble to sort of, uh, make those methods and, and make those products, you know, in house. Um, so yeah, we, yeah. uh, we are, we are shifting, uh, very quickly to, um, you know, becoming a... Uh, what we call it a um, a pre-run grow. You know, it's uh, we're growing product prior to it being run in machine to become concentrate.
2: Wow. Yeah. Ever moving target for sure. I think I was uh, I was having a conversation with uh, one of the folks that was involved in Amendment 64, which uh, changed the laws here in Colorado to allow adult use. And I think they they said something along the lines of, you know, we we just wanted to legalize flour. And then what they didn't expect was the concentrates and the edibles coming along for the ride, too, which is all fine and good. It's just I don't think anybody imagined such a huge market for concentrates and edibles when when we were just going to try to legalize cannabis for use in general. So it's fascinating. Um, we've got just a minute or two before we take our last commercial break, but... Um, so, in the big picture, regulations are—they're for real uh, in in this industry. You have to monitor everything more closely than plutonium. I hear everything from pesticides, molds, and toxins. What are these? What are the big regulations you're dealing with right now?
0: Yeah, that's uh, this—that's uh, definitely been a challenge. And honestly, here in Denver, it feels like the uh, the rules and regulations. Are as strict as I've seen them in any part of the nation, at least where, where we're operating and in working. Um, so you know, right now, um, Colorado is under mandatory potency and microbial testing only, and and those are um, the potency is both medical and recreational. The microbial testing mandated right now is actually just on the recreational side, which I think a lot of people would say, well why is it not on the medical, you know, testing? Yeah. I think, you know, when the rules came out um, around medical, you know, testing wasn't thought of very uh, carefully and was sort of left out. And then as soon as adult use, you know, recreational use came on, um, you know, we went from having 120,000 patients here uh, in the state to you know the exposure to potentially millions, and now it all of a sudden it became a public health um, concern. And so that's why I think it hit the recreational regulations first. Um, mm. but the state is working on it, and those will be coming through the medical um, licensees as well. Um so yep. that's a big one, you know, along with those will be pesticide testing and heavy metal testing. Uh, but prior to those tests um, even being mandated by the state, um you know, I think most people have heard about sort of the big pesticide scare that happened about a year ago here. Um, in Colorado, and and that primarily came through uh, the Denver Fire Department, and those guys were in buildings doing their normal inspections and basically seeing bottles of Pretty nasty chemicals laying all around, and um, growers with no training and um, no guidance, you know, using these at all different times of the the crop. And that, and they basically went to their bosses at the city and said, you know, we're done. We're not doing any more uh, investigations, any more um, inspections until you guys get a hold of this. And that, and that's really sort of what um, spearheaded um, some of the more recent pesticide regulations in Colorado. Um, so those, you know, those are always things that we have to be aware of and. And try to follow and you know the state has has done a good job the state and the city here in denver have done a good job of um including the industry in their um Mm -hmm. conversations and really allowing us to be have our voice heard um all the way through the rulemaking process so that's been that's been good
2: cool Good to hear. All right, let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and chat a little bit more. Stay tuned to NCIA's Cannabis
1: Industry Voice. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors.
2: in as little as four weeks, bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com Four-week build excludes
1: high production systems. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com
2: Alrighty, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, wrapping up our conversation with Josh, the Director of Grow Operations at The Clinic. Um, So Josh, you've certainly attended a few of our major conferences uh, like the Cannabis Business Summit and Expo and the Seed to Sale show in the past. What have your experiences been like at our conferences? yeah, I've enjoyed uh,
0: both the conferences. I um, was at the show out in Oakland a couple years ago and then here at the c to Sale show here in Denver uh, this past year. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously more and more of these types of shows popping up all over the country, um, all to varying degrees of quality. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the NCIA conferences, one, just with the, you know, with NCIA being the backer, you can sort of of trust the content um, and vendors sort of out of the gate. You just know that they're going to be well-vetted and sort of up-to-date with what's happening um, nationwide. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, going to those and, um, you know, experiencing both the trade show side as well as um, a lot the speakers that are happening at those, at those shows.
2: Yeah, yeah, these shows are getting bigger and bigger all the time. And yeah, to to be on our expo floor, uh, companies are required to be members of NCIA, demonstrate their commitment to reform at the federal level. And to be a speaker, there's the same membership requirement, of course, unless you're like a, a politician or something, of course. I don't think we'd require uh, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom to join NCIA, but but yeah, we actually have our, as you know, um, our speakers submit proposals during an open submission period, and then our staff and committees grade those proposals. So that's how we select the speakers. And there's so many incredible people in the industry and so few speaking spots at any given conference that it becomes difficult to manage. But um, you are scheduled to be on a panel at our upcoming Seed to Sale show, which is February 7th and 8th. 2018, and that's here in Denver. Um, the website, for those interested, is www.seedtosaleshow.com. So, tell us about your panel and what you're looking forward to covering during the Seed to Sale Show.
0: Yeah, so the panel is actually um, going to be run by Jacob Polluxer of the Cannabis Conservancy. Oh, he's and the, great. The title of the session is... Energy use in the efficient practices for growers, investors, and policymakers, and mm-hmm. optimizing cultivation efficiency. Um, so, I worked with Jacob uh, this past year. Um, the Cannabis Conservancy won the bid from the Colorado Energy Office to do a cannabis energy usage study. Um, and they basically selected an indoor grow, a uh, greenhouse grow, and an outdoor grow, and they studied their energy usage over the course of um, Several months and then uh, Jacob and his team has put together a report for the Colorado energy office and I believe that the main point of the panel is for him to sort of um, Give out some of those findings that he uh, that him and his group had in that um, Study and then mm-hmm. I'll be there to sort of support the grower aspect of it You know talking more about how the study went um, some of the energy efficient um Uh, manufacturing processes that we're using, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, LED lighting, Um, we are using um, some smart meters on our panels that give me daily or weekly reports, however I want them on energy usage around the building, and we can adjust uh, sort of our, some of our practices to help, uh, continue to save energy. And again, it's just been, um, over the last year, you hear more and more about sustainability and, and how much the industry cares about, obviously cares about the world and wants to be good operators. And, um, you know, for all of us that are growing indoors, we know, you know, what our energy bill is and, um, anything that we can do around that to help will just be uh, useful going forward in the future.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're so right. Our industry is is unique in that we have a more forward thinking, ethical platform of, you know, not just profits, but people and planet as well. Um, so it's amazing to see what we can do with technology to help meet those ideal ideals and goals in in this amazing industry and I, I imagine that we, as a cannabis industry, are breaking new ground, and we're doing this while it's still federally illegal, which blows my mind, obviously.
0: <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was. I would like to think
0: that uh, you know we're all out here doing our best, uh, not just for ourselves and our company and profit, but for you know the general public as a whole. And we're sort of a unique industry, in that we've sort of been cornered into this indoor. Um, market, this indoor, these indoor facilities where you have to light them up, uh, light the plants up. You know, you, there is no other option. And and so it, um, thinking about ways and f- looking at different technologies in order to do that efficiently um, is really, you know, the first step. And then there's obviously um, things around water consumption and water usage and all those other, um, you know, sort of general sustainability things that the Cannabis Conservancy is working on that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that we all need to be thoughtful of. So.
2: Totally. Well, I hope the listeners will come check out your panel uh, at the Seed to Sale Show, February 7th and 8th, 2018, here in Denver, Colorado. And again, the website for the conference is www.seedtosaleshow.com. And Josh, I want to thank you so very much for this excellent conversation and for joining me on the podcast today.
0: You're welcome, Bethany. Thanks for having me.
2: Alrighty, well, we'll see y'all at the show here in Denver. And thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice.
1: The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com.